It's the Dogcast, a special edition, The Legend of Herschel. Hey guys, this is Derek from the Dogcast, and this is a Dogcast special edition, The Legend of Herschel. I had the idea for this show last week after Herschel got voted off of Celebrity Apprentice by that rat fiend snake Clint Black and uh, and uh, Donald Trump, you know, and I thought that was a travesty, so I thought it was a good time to come out with The Legend of Herschel show, which is something I've been wanting to do for a little while now. And plus, you know, we had a crazy, we had really a bad weekend here in Athens. Um, you know, we had, uh, it was the Twilight Criterion bike race this weekend. So it's, it's the last Saturday in Ath, and, um, in May. And it's always a huge weekend. And then it was completely undone by this, you know, mass murder by a UGA marketing professor where he goes and kills three people. And, um, you know, we had SWAT team walking around downtown, you know, like in full camo with the M16s and everything. It was it was a crazy weekend. So everybody's kind of in a bummer, and I thought, you know, what better time to talk about the greatest player in college football than now? So what I'm going to do for the Legend of Herschel show is I'm actually reading something. This isn't original material. I'm reading something. It's an essay by a guy named Joe Poznanski. And I don't know if I'm saying his name right or not, but this is something Old Dog found. This guy wrote this for uh, ESPN. And if you're a young dog out there, maybe you don't know about the legend of Herschel. You don't know kind of the backstory about Herschel. And this isn't completely, this isn't the whole story. It's just a, a fun thing to listen to, something I really liked. So here we go with uh, with credits to Joe Poznanski or however you say that guy's name. The legend of Herschel. The legend goes like this. There was a young boy in Wrightsville, Georgia, you know, the friendliest town in Georgia, who didn't like to do anything at all. He would just lie there on the couch all summer, dreaming his life away, until one day his father said that this just wouldn't do. What do you like to do? The father asked. The boy thought on this for a long while. What did he like to do? Heck, he was in Wrightsville. What was there to do? Watch the pulpwood trucks go by, stand outside the textile mill and wait for your life to disappear. The boy would later say that the largest dream he could imagine at that time in his life was that one day he might get to go to Atlanta, just to see Atlanta. Still, he knew that his father wanted an answer, a real answer. So he thought and he thought, and when his father came back, he had an answer. He knew what to say. What do you like to do? his father asked. I like to watch TV, the boy said. That's not much of an answer, is it? But this was a wise father, and he said, Okay, if that's what you like doing, fine. You can watch as much television as you want. But during the commercials, you have to exercise. That's the deal. So the boy agreed. He would watch television. But during the commercials, he would do push-ups. He would do sit-ups and chin-ups. He would go outside and run sprints. 
And after a little while, he could feel his body changing. His arms bulked up. His legs moved faster. He did more sit-ups, more push-ups, more chin-ups. He would race his older sister, Christine, and she would beat him and he would get mad. And he would do more sit-ups and more push-ups, more chin-ups, and he would run more sprints. The boy would later say that he never really had a goal for all this work. He never really had an idea where it might take him. He was just working out during the commercials. Most boys in Wrightsville knew they were going into the army someday, so he knew that, if nothing else, he'd be ready for basic training. And then, one day, somebody gave him a football and told him to run. And he started running with it. And nobody could tackle him. One day he went to Johnson County High and they gave him a football and they told him to run. In his senior year, he ran for 3,167 yards. He scored 45 touchdowns in his senior year. And that very year, a football coach, a Georgia legend named Vince Dooley, dropped out of the sky in a helicopter. And he walked into this boy's school and he asked this young man if he wanted to go to the University of Georgia. The young man said he was not sure. Other coaches wanted him to go to their schools. And then the legend says he put the names of three schools into a paper bag. And he shook it up. And he reached down and he pulled out a slip of paper. And it said Georgia. So Herschel Walker went to the University of Georgia. The legend goes like this. The first practice in full pads at Georgia, and one of the upperclassmen said, and he told his t- told his teammates that he would take it upon himself to introduce this new recruit, this Herschel Walker, to the ways of big-time college football. The others coaxed him on. They, had too, had grown tired of hearing about this freshman, this Achilles in cleats. Maybe they'd not grown tired. Maybe they just wanted to know if he was the real deal. Herschel didn't talk much. He really didn't talk at all. He had this bored look on his face, and that drove everyone mad. Herschel took a handoff, and the defender from the upper class charged at him at full speed, launched himself head first, drove his helmet into Herschel's helmet. The collision sounded like a car hitting a stone wall. It echoed through the street, and then there was silence. When the defender woke up, he was told by his teammates that he had perhaps slowed Herschel down for an instant, though they did have to concede that he did continue running for a touchdown after the impact. You really showed him, they assured the defender, as little Herschel Walkers circled inside his helmet. The legend goes like this. Herschel did not lift weights. He had an aversion to weights. They seemed to him counterfeit, unreal. And yet his body was like rock, like a piece of stone. The first time he ran the 40-yard dash at a Georgia practice, the coaches clocked him at 4-3-5. He wasn't even really warmed up. He was a freak of nature. Everyone could see this. He could run 100 yards in 9.3 seconds. He could run 100 meters in a world-class 10-2-2. He stood 6 foot 2 and he weighed 220 pounds. No single person could knock him off his feet. His coach, Vince Dooley, could see that Herschel was something new, something he had never quite seen before, and he was not quite sure what he was supposed to do with this gift. 
Vince was conservative by nature. All those Dooley boys were conservative. The Dooleys, Vince and Bill, had grown up in Mobile and had their ears bent and pulled at the McGill Institute, where they learned about football and that we were put on this earth to build the kingdom of God. The Dooleys were famous for never underestimating an opponent, for in fact, making every opponent sound like a combination of Lombardi's Packers, Knowles Steelers, and a little of the army of the undead. It was one of them, probably the younger brother Bill, who uttered the classic when he could not think of anything especially scary to say about this week's opponent. William and Mary has the finest long snapper I've ever seen. Vince Dooley's conservative football nature told him that you cannot build the kingdom of God with freshmen, not even an unstoppable freshman like Herschel Walker. And so, Herschel did not start that first game against Tennessee. He was not expected to play very much, if at all. And then it came to pass that Tennessee led the game 15-2, to and the Bulldogs were very much in danger of losing the season opener, and desperate times can turn even the most conservative of men inside out. Get in there, Herschel, Dooley said. Four words, and Herschel obliged. He took the first handoff of his career, broke four tackles, and ran over future NFL pro bowler Bill Bates and scored. He then calmly flipped the football to the referee. My God, George's radio announcer Larry Munson shouted in the booth, a freshman. The legend goes like this. Three South Carolina men had an angle to attack, to tackle Herschel. If you could choose only one moment in that unbelievable freshman season, the greatest season of any college football player has ever had, it would have to be that one. Three players had him dead to rights as he ran down the sideline. Up till then, Vince Dooley had been playing a fun little game. When he needed Herschel, he used him liberally. In the Tennessee game, with the Bulldogs in a tough spot, Herschel carried the ball 24 times and a little bit more than a half. Against the tough Aggies of Texas A&M, he carried it 21 times. One of those was a 76-yard burst, and he covered those yards so quickly that one Aggie after the game would say that he could not have caught Herschel if he were in a cab. And against those relentless Clemson Tigers, he carried it 23 more times for 121 yards. But then the schedule dipped, and suddenly Herschel found himself on the bench. He carried the ball only nine times against TCU and only 11 against Ole Miss. He's still just a freshman, Dooley told his coaches, and they nodded and tried hard to keep straight faces. Herschel could afford to be just a freshman in a 34-3 victory over the Horn Frogs, but the rest of the time, he was the entire Georgia offense. Against Vanderbilt, Herschel got the ball 23 times. He ran for 283 yards. He scored three touchdowns. It was the 60-yard touchdown that left people breathless. A few yards into the run, a little guy wearing a number 26 jersey tried to tackle Herschel. He bravely jumped in front of the moving train and was quite literally sent flying five yards into the air. It looked like something out of a cartoon or maybe from the Matrix. I I don't look to break tackles, Herschel said. People just keep getting in my way. And then came that South Carolina game. It was on national television, and there was a subplot. 
South Carolina had a senior running back, George Rogers, who everyone was pumping for the Heisman, in large part because he was a senior. He had paid his dues. He represented the establishment. And then there was this freshman from a little town in Georgia who people were whispering her about. He was the new thing. Rogers was Pat Boone. Herschel was James Brown. The game was close, and the fight between generations was no contest. Rogers had a critical fumble, and Herschel ran for 219 yards. And the biggest play happened when Herschel got the ball and headed for the right sideline, and those three South Carolina players had their angles. Herschel, when remembering the run, would say, I know at least one of those guys had a good angle to tackle me, but then I remember thinking to myself, hey, I can run a little bit here. And he could run. He blew by all three, and it wasn't really close. None of the three, even with the angles, got close enough to even attempt a dive. The speed was electrifying. It was like watching a football game jump out of the screen like a pop-up book. The only thing that matches it in my memory was Bo Jackson's Monday night run against Seattle. But this happened first. No one had ever seen anything that big move that fast up till now. There were more amazing runs. The next week, he went 72 yards against Florida. The week after that, he ran left against Auburn, stopped, turned around, ran across the field for an 18-yard touchdown. The next week, against hated Georgia Tech, he broke the NCAA freshman running record in style on a 65-yard touchdown run. He had done it all. Georgia was a one-dimensional team. The dogs could not throw at all. Their offensive line was okay. The defense was good, but not legendary. And still, Georgia won all 11 games. Herschel ran for 1,616 yards, 15 touchdowns. He had four 200-yard rushing games. He knocked out George Rogers man-to-man, though Rogers still ended up winning the Heisman. You can't fight the establishment. He broke long, breathtaking runs week after week. Defensive lined up with every available man to stuff Herschel. Half the time, they did not even cover Georgia receivers. And still, he had his way. There's a lot more to the Herschel story, but it would never be quite like this again. Not for Herschel, and not for anyone else either. That freshman year, Larry Munson would tell us years later, if I'd seen him fly away, I would have just said, okay, folks, Herschel Walker has flown off so he could be with his own kind. The legend goes like this. In the Sugar Bowl against Notre Dame, in the first quarter, Herschel got hit and was knocked on his shoulder and he heard a popping sound. He felt a different kind of pain and he wobbled to the sideline. There was a trainer The trainer there said that Herschel had dislocated his shoulder. The trainer said several other things, but Herschel stopped listening after that. He could only hear the quotes from the Notre Dame players who said that they would stop this freshman. They would keep him from getting a 100 yards. Nobody gets a 100 yards against us, one of them said. Herschel did hear the trainer say, hold still. Then he heard another pop and his shoulder was back in. There was never really any question about him going back in the game. Sometimes, Herschel would say, pain is sort of just in your mind. But when he went back into the game, he was no longer the same man. He could no longer run behind his shoulders. He had to adjust. 
He had to run more straight up and deal with the pain every time he got hit. And he got hit. Do you know how many passes Georgia completed in that national championship game? One. Quarterback Buck Ballou completed one pass. The game plan, like always, was to give it to Herschel, pitch it to Herschel, fake it to Herschel, and then give it to Herschel, even with a dislocated shoulder. Herschel ran for 150 yards. Georgia beat Notre Dame and was named national champion. It was one of the most courageous performances in the history of college football, right up there with the Gipper and the other stuff from the movies. But something very definitely changed that day. Georgia, the legend, goes like this. Georgia had a third down and won. And every time Georgia had one yard to go, they gave the ball to Herschel. Well, that's not descriptive enough because pretty much every time Georgia had the ball in any kind of situation, they gave the ball to Herschel. That's how it went his sophomore season. Great? Of course he was great. He ran for 1,891 yards. He scored 20 touchdowns and carried a significantly younger Georgia team to a 10-1 and record. The Dogs only lost to the season, during the season, was to eventual, eventual national champion Clemson. Herschel was incredible. But he wasn't the same. There was no mistaking that. The long runs, those impossible bursts of speed, and the power that made him explode out of your TV screen when he was a freshman, those were gone. His longest run as a sophomore was 32 yards. He was just hitting the line again and again, battering for 8 yards, 6 yards, 9 yards. The Herschel music which as a freshman had been all horns and strings, sweeping symphonies, was now the music of drums and electric guitars. Bam, bam, bam. Why was this? One theory is that teams had figured out how to tackle Herschel in the open field. Defenders would dive at his knees and take out his feet. Nobody ever took Herschel Walker down straight up. Another theory is that the Georgia game plan changed. The conservative nature of Dooley was coming out, and now he wanted to take advantage of Herschel's power running, grind out some first downs, eat up some clock. And so the coordinator sent Herschel crashing into the line again and again and again, 35, 40 times a game. There was no place for artistry. And then... Some say that Herschel himself changed after the separated shoulder. He no longer ran with quite the same abandon. It's hard to say, but there is a strangely touching scene from an awful Burt Reynolds movie called Paternity that I think about now and then. In that scene, the hot young Beverly D'Angelo asks Burt Reynolds why he wants kids. And Burt, I just remember, I don't know what the plot of this movie was. It was so awful and bizarre, I can't even remember. It's just Burt Reynolds wanted to have a kid with Beverly D'Angelo. But Burt explains that he once saw a little boy riding a bicycle on top of a fence. The boy would ride the bike over and over again on the fence. And then someone saw the boy and shouted, Hey, that's impossible. You can't ride a bike on top of the fence. The boy immediately fell and could never ride on the fence again. Was that boy Herschel Walker? Well, maybe. The thing that's so amazing about him as a freshman that even looking back now on that grainy videotape, you can see that every single time Herschel gets the ball, he believes that he's going to run 75 yards for a touchdown. He expects to go 75 yards for a touchdown. He is running like there's nothing in the world that can stop him. When you look up, you go up, Herschel would say.
As a sophomore, there's something a little more realistic about his running style. It's like someone went up to Herschel and said, you know, those 75-yard runs are impossible. It was as if, after Notre Dame, Herschel realized that a 12-yard run really is pretty good. I don't think he knew that as a freshman. I think as a freshman, he was like the first-time golfer who hits an approach shot an approach shot to within a few feet of the hole. And when his partner claps, he's like, what are you clapping for? The ball didn't go in. I think as a freshman, he thought 12-yard runs were failures. As a sophomore, he had an almost unbelievable 72 runs for 10 yards or more. He was still the best running back around. But I don't know. He was just different. It's hard to explain what it is to grow up. But maybe he wasn't going for the storybooks anymore. He was going for first downs. Of course, he still did miraculous things. There was that third down and one against Ole Miss where Georgia called for him to get the ball to go up and do what they called the patented Herschel Walker leap. It seems unlikely that he ever actually patented. Undoubtedly, Walter Payton would have beaten him to the patent office. But he did it just about as well as anybody ever. His vertical jump was supposedly measured at 40 inches. So Herschel went up, and some old Miss guy went up with him. Well, not quite as high as him. And the two collided in midair, and they both fell to the ground. Only Herschel fell on his feet, and then he just walked into the end zone for a touchdown. Rest of my life, Herschel would say, people been asking me to do that again. The legend goes like this. Herschel Walker was mad. There was this time against Florida. He had tried to catch a kickoff in the air, only to have it go through his arms, and he bounced into the end zone. Herschel then did something that he never did. He panicked. He tried to bring the ball out of the end zone, and he got tackled at the one-yard line. On the next play, Georgia fumbled, and Florida scored. Now, Herschel was an even-tempered young man. He did not talk very much. He never celebrated his touchdowns. Georgia offensive lineman, when asked what Herschel was really like, would just shrug. Get me the ball, Herschel muttered in the huddle that day. And he never spoke in the huddle. They had never seen him so angry. Florida was lining up every available man. They had professors on the line to stop Herschel. But if Herschel wanted the ball... Well, Herschel's going to get the ball. I never saw a player so determined, Vince Dooley would say. Herschel ran the ball 47 times that day. He gained 92 yards. He caught two touchdown passes. Both were stunning runs where he ran through tacklers just like the old freshman days. And when Georgia trailed late, they gave him the ball 11 times on the winning game-winning drive. And Georgia won. 11 carries on the game-winning drive. The next day, Herschel asked Georgia's kicker to come out and come out to the field and kick 50 kickoffs to him. The legend goes on and on. There was this time as a junior when he ran for 143 yards against South Carolina with a broken thumb. There was the time he ran for 219 yards against Florida after telling a friend before the game, one thing I'm never going to do as long as I'm at Georgia is lose to Florida. There was the time he ran for 177 yards against Auburn, two touchdowns, and carried the team to another unbeaten, unbeaten season. Another Sugar Bowl. In his three years at Georgia, the Bulldogs only lost one regular season game to the national champion Clemson. They lost two bowl games to national champion Penn State and to Dan Marino's Pittsburgh team. 
By now, though, it hardly seemed that anything Herschel did was surprising. He had the Heisman Trophy wrapped up before the season even began. And so when he put on his usual numbers, he ran for 1,752 yards, scored 17 touchdowns, had three more 200-plus yard rushing days. But at this point, strangely, it all seemed almost ordinary. He was still getting almost all of his yards on these short, hard runs that gain these first downs and win games, but they don't get your heart racing. I don't know, when I look back at the Herschel highlights from his junior year, he seems almost bored. Wilt Chamberlain left Kansas after his junior year because he was tired of dealing with four men covering him. I wonder how Herschel felt during his junior year. After he had done everything, there were no more miracles left to perform. He did have one more moment, though. One more run which left them all gasping. That was in the last game, Georgia versus Georgia Tech. It had, heart, it had become my favorite Herschel run. I don't know the names of any of the Georgia Tech players involved, but there's no doubt in my mind that they're in bars somewhere in Atlanta telling this story. Herschel took a typical handoff and ran hard into the line. The first man to get to him jumped in from the right side and grabbed Herschel's right leg. A split second later, another guy came in and hit Herschel high on the left shoulder. And they spun Herschel around, and they about had him toppled over. I would say that Herschel's body was at about a 60-degree angle to the ground. He was practically down. And right then, just as about as he was about to fall, a third guy came in and grabbed Herschel's left leg. I have watched this run 50 or more times in my life, and I just watched it again a moment ago. I have no idea how Herschel did not fall. I don't know if he realized that it would be his last game at Georgia. He still had a bowl game, but those games are different. I don't know if he had it in his mind to leave everyone with a memory, but I do know this. He did not fall. He spun around and he threw off the first tackler. He twisted away from the second and then he jumped out of the grasp of the third. And then a fourth tackler came in, someone wearing a number eight jersey. And I just love this young man because he completed the picture. He dove at Herschel and that's when Herschel just stopped. He sidestepped and let number eight go flying by into the backfield. And then Herschel lifted his right leg. He actually reared the way horses do in the movies. And he was off. 59 yards. The last touchdown. Everyone else left in the dust. He had no business not falling down. A crazed Larry Munson shouted in the radio booth. No business at all not falling down. No business. He was Herschel Walker one more time, the kid who trained during commercials and believed deep down that nobody could tackle him. How did you do it? I asked him once at a banquet. I don't know, he said. It just seemed like the thing to do. And then the legend ends there. Herschel went pro. It was, looking back, a better pro career than most remember. He went to the USFL for some obscene amount of money, something like $16 million guaranteed by Donald Trump. He rushed for more than 5,000 yards in three years. In one of those seasons, he ran for 2,411 yards. Nobody really knew what that meant, though, being the USFL and all, and nobody really knows now. And then he went to the NFL, and he gained 1,500 yards for Dallas in one season. 
and he still had enough status that Minnesota traded five players and six draft choices just to get him. Think about that for a second. Eleven players for Herschel Walker. Unfortunately for Minnesota, a couple of those draft picks turned out to be Emmett Smith and Darren Woodson. And so Herschel was not too appreciated in Minnesota. The fans booed him relentlessly, and then the team got rid of him. He played a few more years for Philadelphia, a little time with the Giants, and then he finished up in Dallas. By then, he was a very different type of athlete, still fast, still strong, but his instinctiveness as a runner seemed gone, and he hardly ever seemed to break a tackle. There are a million theories about this, and I suspect that the truth is probably a little in all of them. He was a pretty decent pass catcher and a kick returner, and all in all, he did rush for more than 8,000 yards, and he caught more than 500 passes, and he did go to a couple of Pro Bowls. But that's not the Herschel Walker that this is about. That's not the Herschel Walker and the legend. No, the Herschel we're talking about here was the greatest college football player who ever lived. And that's how the legend goes. Thanks for listening to the Dogcast. And thanks to Joe Posnanski for his article, The Legend of Herschel.